Hello, everyone. Before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to say that I had the great gift of being a guest on another podcast, This Whole Life, which explores the intersection of the faith with mental health. And I had the chance to share both about my personal journey and about my research in neuroscience. So if you'd like to listen to that, you can find This Whole Life on any major podcasting platform, or you can find a link in the show notes. All right. Thanks. Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. I'm Adriana. And I'm Juliana. And we're delighted to welcome you to this episode on Mary, the person of the Mother of God. As we're recording this, we've just come out of the Sacred Triduum and are entering the Easter season. So we heard at the liturgy on Good Friday, the entrusting of Mary to the beloved disciple as his mother and the disciple to Mary as her son. And in the month of May, the church invites us to honor Mary in a particular way. And so we thought it was a great opportunity to explore what it means that Mary's example and her maternal love is a path to getting to know Christ more. What it means to live this relationship with her, not as something that substitutes or takes away from relationship with Christ himself, Um, And isn't reduced to just sentimentalism, but rather a genuine path to Christ himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, So I'm looking forward to learning from your own experiences. This is one of the beautiful things about relationship with Mary, as I find in speaking with my friends, that the way that it unfolds in the life of any given believer is unique. She reaches us in a unique way. There's a unique apparition or aspect of her person that moves us and through which she shows herself to be our mother. And so I'm, yeah, I never get tired of hearing people's stories about their relationships with, with the mother of God. So I'm looking forward to learning from you today and sharing some reflections with our listeners so as to honor, honor her in this month. Yeah. Thank you, Sophie. I'm glad you started with meditating on Christ's words from the cross because meditating on Mary and preparing for this episode in the shadow or in the of the triduum in the days that follow the triduum has been really rich for me because I've been able to see that command behold your son and behold your mother in the context in which they occurred and that has opened my eyes to the imponderable depths of Mary's maternal love mm. because Christ gave her to us as our mother precisely in the moment in which humanity was beating her son and mocking him and killing him. Um, it wasn't later when everything, when the victory had had been won and it wasn't before that horrific moment, but it was precisely in that moment. And it was in that moment that she said yes and she took us all into her heart as her children. And so we see there that there's no limit to Mary's maternal love. I I don't know. This has been really powerful for me to to consider as I think about my own relationship with Mary and maybe the limits I place on her motherhood and yet the depth, the true depth that I'm invited to. Mm. Yeah, similarly, Juliana, I think I was really struck on 
Good Friday thinking along the same lines, even though we didn't speak about this, that it is at the moment that even those closest to Christ are like at best, you know, scattering, at worst crucifying him, that she's given the vocation to mother all of these people who are actively killing her her son and Lord. Yeah. And what that would mean in my own circumstance or what that asks of me in my circumstances. And it is like a sign against the world because it's so on its face, maybe unjust. Father Giussani talks about mercy that way, like divine mercy in a secular concept seems to ask too much of us. I think it's in Generating Traces. He says precisely that it seems unjust to ask of forgiveness and love to that extent, Mm. if not for Christ. But Mary, even then, is able to say yes without like a period of time and a period of softening of her own heart. Like she's already available and malleable at every single moment Mm -hmm. and remains softened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I used to think implicitly, this wasn't a conscious sort of rational belief, but I think I used to believe that Mary was distant from me precisely because she was sinless. Because there was nothing in her, as you just said, Adriana, nothing in her that resisted the will of God. And yet I see in myself exactly as you were both pointing out the same violence that put her son on the cross, uh, this same wretchedness. And so there was kind of this assumption that, all right, nothing pure can draw near to me. It can't understand my darkness. It doesn't want to be near my darkness. But I think what opened the path to a better understanding of Mary and therefore relationship with her was over the years experiencing the fact that people in my life, the people in my life who can draw the closest to me and love me the most are the ones who are pure of heart, Mm -hmm. not the ones who can relate to my darkness because they themselves are full of sin, um, but rather the ones who, you know, the Lord says that they will turn swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. And for me, that's been an image that has recurrently come to mind in experiences of my loved ones having nothing to defend, like no, the ones who don't have attachments that make me a threat to them or fear of things that are in me that trigger, you know, their own sins or they're the ones who are able to draw near to me and tend to the garden of my heart, you know, with plowshares and pruning hooks. And this is Mary because she's sinless. And I'm so grateful for this experience because it really is a liberation. Hmm. Thank you, Sophie. That's really beautiful. And I think if we go in what you were saying and what Adriana was saying, this ability to love and to draw near to the other, we see that it doesn't originate in Mary and it doesn't originate in the loved ones that you're talking about, but rather it's their response to God's own initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, It was Christ on the cross who invited Mary into this role um, Pope Benedict, he says that these words, behold your son, they opened Mary's heart like the sword that wounded Christ's side. Wow. And so her heart with those words was opened to receive the same love for man and for the world that Christ had for us. Mm. And her her response to this initiative has been has been a lifelong response, right? We see it right from her fiat and her fiat is is at the center of salvation history and yet it's still it's God's initiative and it's her free response. And so I think that we see in her 
a model of how to respond, but we also see the reality of Christ's invitation and his initiative in each of our own lives. Mm. Yeah, I'm also struck where Pope Benedict, he speaks of Mary's Magnificat, and he says the first lines, my soul magnifies the Lord, reveals like the whole project and program of Mary in what you're saying, too. It's not self-creation or self-initiative or self-improvement that allows her to live virtuously or live a holy life. It is by letting herself simply just magnify the Lord in submission and in cooperation. But that begins with a yes and very much takes on like a form of virginal obedience Yeah, that I think is really uncomfortable in our times. Exactly. Exactly. And yet is the truth of all creation. Like her posture before the father is what all of creation should be in front of the creator. Receptivity is the most reasonable position of any of us to have before the one being itself who generates us mm-hmm. from nothingness at every moment. But she she alone was free from the temptation to self-creation and the ideology that dominates us so much of the time that led to the fall in the first place. She's She's free of that. And so she can live throughout her whole life this continual drawing from being itself her virginal love of the whole of the world and this is i think the primary place that i see mary as as exemplar that she shows me what it means to be a woman a human being a creation of the creator it's to receive and thus to become what i truly am Mm -hmm. yeah and i love that you connected that to mary's virginity because as we talked about on the last episode virginity has an expansive understanding of what it means to love to love not according to how things present themselves to you, the appearance of them, what they can be for you, how you can manipulate them, but to love according to the way that the Lord looks at this thing. Mm-hmm. And so to treat it with the the detachment and the respect that keeps it at a certain distance and yet isn't at all a renunciation, but actually a deeper possession. It's because she had this receptivity in front of the Father and this virginal love of all of creation that she's able to love the truth of us even more than we do. Uh, So nothing is lost and nothing is sacrificed in virginity. I mean, there is a sacrifice, but it's for a deeper possession. So this is why, yeah, as I said, I think this is why I see the reasonableness and the beauty of the fact that the church upholds Mary as our exemplar. All of us are called to live that exact relationship to the Father. And also to go back to what you were saying earlier, Sophia, that shows us why we don't have to be afraid. Mm, Yeah. We don't have to be afraid of her purity of heart. We don't have to be afraid of her sinless heart because she simply reflects the love of the Father and draws us deeper into relationship with him and models for us who we are all called to be. It's the fulfillment of the journey that we are asked to undertake and and the the journey that Christ invites us on, but it's not something separate from us and detached from us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think a question that's kind of provoked me in these days preparing for this episode, I was re- reading a little of Fulton Sheen's Mary, Mother of God, mm. and he just had a simple line where he said he thinks like every woman, every person sees Mary as the ideal and desires to be like her, whether we're cognizant of that or not. Like, 
she's the ideal. And it struck me as a question I should ask myself, like, am I attracted to being like Mary? And the space that I can most easily see resistance, but like on a superficial level resistance, but actually a very deep desire to be more like Mary is her virginal obedience. Yeah. It's been very easy in my own becoming a mother to look at Mary as mother and see her as an example and her love for Jesus as a child, Jesus as a man. I've talked about that on other episodes. Like that seems so intuitive to me, but yet Mary's continual yes and her continual receptivity at every moment, both in body and soul, is yeah not a constant struggle, but a constant struggle <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I completely relate to the challenge. But as exactly as you said, a superficial resistance that covers over a deeper attraction mm-hmm. that I can tell I'm I'm made for this and. I think the primary place that I've seen in my relationship with Mary, something change in my life as a fruit of this is my relationship with my vocation. Exactly as you said, Uh, this learning the daily virginal obedience that she modeled throughout her whole life. Because what was her fiat at the Annunciation? It wasn't just a singular moment in which the Lord physically became flesh in her womb. It was that. But St. Augustine says she conceived him in her mind before she conceived him in her body. The Lord was conceived through her faith spiritually before his presence in the flesh entered the world. And so if I want to imitate her relationship to the Father and to bear Christ into the world, which is what I desire more than anything, it's not a question of a singular formal moment, but a question of having this continual disposition, as you said, of availability to the will of God. My resistance to that is intense (laughs) because I constantly want to make it a project of my own making. Like thinking back to when we did the episode on unfulfilled desires towards the start of the podcast, it was during a time when I was really struggling with the unfulfilled nature of a lot of the desires that I have for my life, the macroscopic ones. And I still do. I still do struggle sometimes with this temptation to make it a project of I just need to find the right way to live this or I just need to find the answer and seize hold of it. But instead, what I found in these years is that peace comes not from finally reaching this image you have in mind of what's going to resolve this question you have or this desire you have, but on the path to that desire by loving the will of God more than I love my ideas, by actually learning availability, that my true joy is, as Jusani says, feeling Jesus Christ alive and vibrant in the flesh of my thought and my heart. Like, this is actually my joy. And this is the joy that characterized Mary's heart through her whole life because the angel left her Mm -hmm. and what was asked of her, Mm -hmm. but sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, like, the awkward conversation with Joseph and the risk of being uh, made a social pariah or worse, stoned uh, for adultery, if that's what people perceived the source of her pregnancy to be, and giving birth in a stable. We were just talking before we started about your <laughs> the sacrifices you guys are making and how Mary would have been on a donkey at this point in your pregnancies. <laughs> yeah. But like, to, yeah, to conclude here, I guess just the point that I'm making is that throughout her whole life, 
this singular grace that was given to her unfolded as a heart completely available to the will of God who found her joy in saying yes to him, no matter how surprising or contradictory the circumstances might have seemed. Um, And this was her faith. And I'm discovering in these years of living with unfulfilled desires that this is my joy too. This is the truth Mm -hmm. of my desire is to be with God and to receive him according to how he desires to enter my life. Um, And yeah, so I'm really, really grateful for the prayers Mm. of Our Lady of the Annunciation and helping me learn this because it's completely changed my life. Yeah. Wow. Well, and that makes me think about, too, the prophecy of Simeon who says, a sword will pierce your own heart. Mm. When Jesus is an infant, he's already prophesying to Mary the suffering that she will undergo. And so her her yes in these circumstances, in these unfulfilled desires, Sophia, it wasn't just moment by moment, but she also, um, it's particularly provoking to me because this is something I really struggle with, but she was also promised a profound suffering in the future, an unknown, exactly what it was, exactly when it would be, but a sword will pierce your heart. And she had to continue to say yes in the face of that. Yeah. Not knowing when it would come. I mean, this for me too is a challenge as someone who's very prone to worrying about the future or just resisting suffering, resisting the idea of suffering. I can almost deal with suffering better if it's in front of me and I can take it on rather than the, the fear. Yeah, and measure it and understand yeah. it. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is just, I mean, that too is obedience to turn away from the temple and go back to her life and go back to serving her husband and her child and go back to ordinary life in the face of that promise. And that for me is is also a challenge and a model. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Julie, because I've been praying a lot with the seven sorrows or the seven thrusts of the sword in Mary's heart. And tangentially, I was reading again, like St. Irenaeus in Against Heresies, and he's not speaking specifically about Mary, but I think it applies to her. Um, And he says, you do not make God, God makes you. Offer him a soft and malleable heart, then keep the shape in which the master molds you. Retain your moisture so that you do not harden and lose the imprint of his fingers by preserving. Wow, I do none of that. I know. I love it so much. Um, (laughs) And it just struck me in thinking of Mary the possibility of being pierced that she continually opens herself up to. Oh my goodness. And do I like Sophia used the language of availability? Like, am I available for to be pierced by God? And I don't know that the answer is, is always yes. And I think of the seven sorrows of Mary, you know, Simeon's prophecy uh, Mary's flight into Egypt and the slaughtering of of the infants and losing Jesus in the temple. Um, and then all the way to the carrying of the cross, Jesus's crucifixion, Jesus being taken down from the cross, his time in the tomb. I was struck that all of these sorrows, she, to me, endures sort of in community. I guess my temptation, like at a lot of these moments would be to self-isolate and to increase my abandonment. Hmm. And she still remains in this posture of availability. 
like at the moment of the cross, I think I would totally, and my temptation would be to totally shut down. And yet she allows herself to be taken into John's home at that very hour. Yeah. And when she's heard news of the resurrection, like she still allows herself to be in a locked room with disciples. Right. Knowing like this is for her son's glory. That ultimate availability, I like think there's there's real uh, meat for them there for me for how I can live my own life and and I guess live those sorrows in light of the resurrection, which is what the point of of it's not just to like rest in the sorrow of Mary's seven sorrows, but to experience through them the glory of the resurrection. Yeah, because why did she endure those sorrows? It wasn't separate from why she said Mm -hmm. yes at the Annunciation, right? Because she longed for the fulfillment of what the Lord had promised to his people. I always laugh in pictures of the Annunciation. She's like holding a book or it's like scattered on the ground. Like the angel surprised her while she was reading. She's the most studious person in all of the history of Western art. And But why is she portrayed reading books in these beautiful paintings, but because throughout the history of the church, it's been understood that she was longing more than anyone for the fulfillment of the prophecies made in the Old Testament. And so she would have known the words that the Lord had spoken through the prophets and the promises made from the casting of Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden all the way up until her own time. And it was this longing that I think enabled her to enter into the sorrows that were asked of her. And so too, in the crosses of my own life, do I have this same posture of begging, begging for the salvation of the whole world to come to me through the challenges that I'm asked to face, through the crosses that I'm asked to carry? Yeah. Yeah, thinking about those works of art and how they portray Mary too, just drives home the point that this is, this was her lifelong posture, this availability, this docility to God's will. And that's what enabled her to say yes. That's what prepared her to say yes when the angel came to her and at each moment of her sorrow. And I think too, reflecting on this, I see the fruitfulness of that kind of availability and that obedience. And I think we can really see how God takes our obedience and multiplies it a hundred times over. Mary said yes to becoming the mother of one child. And through her yes that day and every day that followed, through her fidelity, through all of these sorrows, she became the mother of the whole human race. (laughs) Billions of people. (laughs) Every Christian. Yeah. Exactly. And and precisely like through her virginity, right? Through her Mm. complete devotion to her spouse, the Holy Spirit, that multiplied her maternity. I mean, that's a profound mystery. And I think that when I think back on my life, it's evident that we are all offered the same promise that our Mm. obedience, our simple yes can become uh, multiplied for God's glory. I think about, for example, um, the day of my wedding that my husband and I prepared for very intentionally this day we would give ourselves to each other and to God. And just in the years that's followed, it's been for and some change years now. We've just 
continue to learn of the fruits of that day for the people that were there and people that... Oh, like in stories that people told you? Yeah, they tell me about it awakened in them a desire or Mm. I heard recently somebody who was moved by Christ in the Eucharist. Wow. It had nothing to do with us and had nothing to do with our with our wedding, but was moved by the presence of Christ in the Eucharist at our wedding mass. Um, Christ used that moment of my vocation, that yes, for his own work. It really had nothing to do with me. It was it was people that I barely even spoke to that day, for example. Um, mm. I see it too in, in this project um, of the podcast that we've been going on for the past three years and how we started with just a simple yes and a very poor yes, very aware that we have very little to offer. And every time that we can see, like we see the Holy Spirit working through our conversations in our own lives and the lives of others. And every time we say to each other, I mean, it's so, (laughs) we're keenly aware that it's not our doing. (laughs) Um, Comically so. (laughs) Very, very deeply aware of this. And it's incredibly humbling because it's just a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit alive and working in the world. And I think, sorry, the last point on this is I think it is consoling to me and it is um, strengthening to me in a time of life when a lot of my yeses seem very simple and they seem devoid of meaning. You know, like Mm -hmm. my yes is I'm not going to yell at my daughter when she's driving me insane because she just learned how to throw a tantrum. You know, like how does that matter for the glory of God? And yet, we can look at Mary's life and we can verify it through my own, you know, I can verify it through my own history that this is exactly where God is working. And it is like the smallest yes is the greatest opportunity for his mm. glory. Mm. Yeah, I love that. As we saw at the wedding at Cana, a simple marriage and them running out of wine <laughs> was an opportunity Yeah, through Mary's intercession there for the glory of God to enter the world. Yeah, for Christ's first public miracle. Yeah, first public miracle. It reminds me of when we were growing up, at least, our father's password that he used for, I don't know, a lot of things was based off of a prayer that we say regularly in the movement, uh, Veni Sancte Spiritus, Veni per Mariam, come Holy Spirit, come through Mary. Uh, I'm not going to tell you... <laughs> What adaptation of this <laughs> in case he still uses it? I was just thinking that. <laughs> but it struck me like he invokes her in every task that he does on his laptop. Impli- there's implicitly in him structurally this begging when he goes to answer his emails and pay the bills and book a flight and that all of these tasks can be for the glory of God if as Mary told us to at the wedding at Cana, if we do whatever he tells us. Precisely in the mundane aspects of, I was reflecting on this too in light of the the mystery, the visitation when she went to go see Elizabeth, like Mary didn't respond to the angel by going living a life consecrated to God in the temple where everyone bowed down before her because she was the mother of the savior. She went and she took care of Elizabeth. Charity moved her to run to Mm -hmm. take care of Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And then she, you know, she served Jesus and Joseph and then John. So for me too, as exactly as you're saying, Julie, it's, it's in scrubbing toilets and researching neuroscience that the fullness of life that I desire is possible, not from running away to some other place where God is waiting for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I had been wanting to bring this up. I was also really struck in Fulton Sheen's book, where he talks about the wedding at Cana, Mm. he kind of suggests that when Jesus says, this isn't my hour, and Mary responds, do whatever he tells you, that it is again 
a question he's asking her and a yes that she's giving. And the yes that she gives at that moment is a yes to the recognition that he's no longer her son, but now he's coming into his identity as Messiah. And she's detaching herself from him and lets him go and is coming to understand herself what it meant that he left for three days as a child in the temple. Yeah. Um, And I was really struck by her own detachment of self, but that is generative, you know, and that's what Christ tells us very explicitly. And yet Mary like shows us how to do this in our daily lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is why we call her virgin mother. Exactly. Because I'm always struck by that exchange where somebody comes to the Lord and is like, ah, blessed is the woman that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And he's like, blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. Mm -hmm. And that this is, of course, not a denigration of Mary, because who has heard the word of God and kept it more than Mary? No one, right? Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, like, it does imply a kind of distance, right? A kind of... Like, Mary's vocation was not an occasion to possess Christ. She didn't understand him fully. She didn't know in advance all that was going to be asked of her. She certainly didn't control it, Mm -hmm. exactly as you're saying. But it's in loving without possession, this virginity, that she was able to be not only the mother of Christ, but the mother of all of those who are saved. Mm -hmm. This is the same thing, exactly as you were saying, that's held out to all of us. us. She shows us how to do this. And even in her lack of understanding, this is the other thing that really strikes me about Mary. Um, St. Luke tells us she ponders these things in her heart. She like actively lives the memory of these wounds that she does not fully understand. Mm -hmm. That is just thinking of my own life. Like I'm more tempted to ignore bad previous memories or times when my child like almost could have been killed or if I would have lost... Damien or Pia for three days. I'm sure for a very long time, that would be a memory I would never revisit. Traumatic. Yeah. Yes. And she lives it and ponders that in her heart. And I have to think like, that's exactly what she's thinking about at the crucifixion and in those three days of darkness. Mm -hmm. She's pondering that in her heart and it's allowing her to live faithfully and with such hope amidst that sorrow to be able to live actively the memory of the entirety of her experience with Christ, the joys and the sorrows yeah, that I, I would like to be able to do. I recognize a fullness in that. Yeah. I really see in my own heart this temptation to, to run from the sorrow and from the painful memories. And I think that at the root of that is fear. Thinking about losing Jesus in the temple, I wouldn't want to think about that because it would – show me that my child does not belong to me Mm. and that I can't control my child and that reality would scare me. Mm -hmm. I think that Mary's detachment or lack of possession of Christ, her son, has just struck me more and more as I've become a mother because I can really see that how strong a mother's emotional and biological and spiritual ties are to her Mm. child and how easy it is for that to be distorted into possession or into Mm. a loss of the dignity and identity of the other person. There's kind of this, it's very easy for this blurring to occur almost, especially when they're young, I think. And it's not limited to motherhood. I see my, this temptation in my heart with all things in my life. And we know, you know, Mary 
had all of these same biological tendencies, right? She would have had that hormonal connection with her newborn son. Um, And yet in the days after he was born, she was already giving him away to the wise men who came to worship him, to the shepherds, and that just continues. This is also often depicted in art. Mary offering her son to the viewer, to the world, both yeah. you know, in pictures of Madonna and child, but I was also thinking about the Pietà, where Mary's kind of holding the dead Christ, the dead body of Jesus yeah. to the world. And I don't know, for me, it just, it's the same thing that we were saying of the lack of the possession and virginity and what that means. But it, it is even more mysterious to me knowing how difficult that is and how deeply ingrained these this own desire for control is in my heart. Mm-hmm. I love what you're both saying about pondering and beholding and what it would have been like, perhaps if we can approach the mystery of Mary's interior life, like what would it have been like in that pondering? So different from my pondering, which is often just rumination. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Because her heart was immaculate. She knew only the good. She had a communion with God that was continuous. And so this is why the tradition calls her seed of wisdom, right? She saw things according to his gaze and had his desire for them. And so her her sort of pondering wasn't this dark rumination that characterizes Sophia's interior life. <laughs> but nor was it naivete, right? It was... Because of this purity, she pondered the distance that separates us from Christ. She pondered the brokenness of the world in need of the Lord's mercy. She pondered, she sees our evil clearly, right? There's mm-hmm. none. And one place where I try to beg for her intercession is invoking her as shepherdess of the interior life and asking her to help me consider all of the dark pondering that I tend to do to consider that all rubbish, as St. Paul says, and instead ponder the good, even when this brings me pain, as you were saying, uh, when it's pondering Christ who was crucified for my sins. It reminds me of, Sophia, you're always reminding me of the difference between light wonder and dark wonder. Yes. That <laughs> Mother Mary Francis says. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> None of the dark wonder of like, yeah, the anxieties that that's like we're the master of our own destiny or this judgment and criticism of other people or my plans to manipulate reality so other people think better of me. Like none of this dark wonder, but the light wonder of how are you here, Lord? How are you going to resolve this? How are you going to fulfill my desires? How can I say yes to you? Like this light wonder. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I have to say in desiring to grow more in my relationship with Mary lately, I've been like particularly asking her and asking the Holy Spirit to increase in me more of her virginity. And I find myself in my examples in life really grateful for friends who've consecrated themselves to virginity or priests and religious, this joyful living of like a universal love Mm. and kind of a practiced detachment in love that is like biologically resistant in me. Like, you know, like I'm biologically inclined to be attached to my children and, and my husband. And not that that's a bad thing at all, but how to love them in a way that's non possessive. And I think that is a constant struggle, but I can see it modeled in in these friends who are living their eschatological spousehood now more fully. And I'm really grateful for them. Yeah. 
yeah, this universal love. I think you're right. It's so Marian, and I love the connection to mm-hmm. to virginity. But yeah, I think that's another. I don't want to say fruit because it's very much in progress, but another place that I ask for Mary's intercession in my life is to teach me to have this greater passion for the salvation of others. And because who who more than Mary longed for, as Simeon said at the presentation, the light to reveal the Father to the nations? Who longed for that to be seen by the nations more than Mary? Like, thinking about Jesus walking around the streets of Nazareth as a toddler and Mary holding him by the hand and like how much yearning she must have had for everybody they passed to recognize who he was and then how much pain when when the crowds rejected him or when the apostles abandoned him and and then after the resurrection how much she would have encouraged and guided and shepherded and interceded for the apostles in evangelizing um because in her god became flesh who can encounter us in the flesh Who more than her lived the awareness that every human heart is made for this and every human encounter is the possibility of this. And yeah, I really want to become more aware of this great treasure that I carry as she was aware of it. And even if it's a silent intercession to be yearning with the yearning that she had to give this treasure away to let everyone encounter what had been freely given to her. Yeah, and who better shows us like how to love our enemies but Mary, <laughs> Yeah, who can, one, immediately be taken into John's home, but then also like treat with such compassion and love those who had killed her son who never show repentance or conversion, and then even those that do, like Paul and, yeah. and me, that she can <laughs> be. gaze at me with love. Yeah. Despite all the ways I've right. participated in the passion of Christ. Mother of mercy, man. Yeah. Um, but that she can like lay aside herself so easily, so freely, because her soul magnifies the Lord. And I can see like how often when I'm wounded by others or slighted, and maybe some of those are objectively true slights, I can take them so personal and I'm unable to love Mm-hmm. freely in those moments because I'm ruminating on this own personal attack against me and unable to love my enemy in that moment. And maybe for many moments afterwards, I'm still just like so focused inwardly on my own hurt. And we never see that in Mary. And in my own experience, like Mary was such a turning point for me in my own sin of experiencing really directly that she was like looking at me with a sorrowful love, Mm. never with like scorn or disdain. Mm. And having those experience in really dark moments of my sin, at the time, I remember I just wanted to like look away from her. But I never experienced a rejection of my person. Mm. Yeah, I'm very far from that myself. But The good thing is, (laughs) my hope isn't in myself as I can become like Mary, but my hope is in Christ, (laughs) who reaches me through Mary with his grace. And that's a, uh, Dante calls Mary in a passage that Giussani loved quoting all the time, a font of living hope. And yeah, my hope is in Christ who reaches me through Mary. And I was always struck when I 
spent the summer at the Abbey of St. Walburga by the way that the Benedictine community, these women, entrusted themselves to Mary at the end of Compline every night. Um, they would sing a Marian hymn, an antiphon, depending on the season, and then the abbess would take holy water and bless all of them. And she shared with me at one point that she asks herself in that moment, would it be all right if this sister died tonight? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, that it wouldn't be all right because something had happened that day that wasn't resolved, she speaks to them. But if the answer isn't no, that silence is completely kept after the end of the the last word of that Marian antiphon. So that the last word that they say before entering into the night is this trust in the mercy of God that came to us in the flesh through Mary. And I love finishing Compline, all of us who pray Compline, finish Compline with a Marian antiphon in the same way, although it's less poignant in our quiet uh, home settings. But yeah, I love finishing this way too. It it helps me. I used to struggle with insomnia, and this is one of the things that has helped me go to bed with greater peace at night. The certainty of my hope does not lie in myself. <laughs> it lies in one who takes an initiative of mercy towards me continually. But on that point, before we conclude, are there any other places, I'm curious, that you've seen that kind of a tangible shift uh, through the intercession and example of Mary in your lives? I think one place I've seen it is in my devotion to the Eucharist. Mm. I think that a truly Eucharistic life and a Eucharistic disposition is a Marian disposition. Mm -hmm. I think St. John Paul II says this at one point. I think this is in his encyclical on the Eucharist, but he says that when Mary conceived Jesus in her womb, that anticipated what happened sacramentally to every believer who receives the body and blood of our Lord. Um, And looking to Mary has shown me first the gaze I should have on our Lord in the Eucharist, right? It should be the gaze of a new mother who's gazing, you know, enraptured at her child who she waited so long and suffered so long for. Wow. And then it shows me how I should respond to that. Immediately after she conceived Jesus, she, um, as we were talking about earlier, she went to go serve her cousin Elizabeth and she proclaimed her Magnificat, her prayer of praise and worship mm-hmm. and thanksgiving to the Lord for all he had accomplished and all he would accomplish. Um, and so there's both this kind of interior response of worship and there's this exterior response of service and love. And this for me has really been a provocation to remember when I receive the Eucharist that then I become a tabernacle for the Lord mm-hmm. and to treat myself accordingly and to act accordingly. Yeah. And Mary has really has really modeled that. So she's she's modeled for me how to the devotion I should have to the Eucharist mm-hmm. and also how the receiving the Eucharist should change me and change my life. How I have to say yes to that. I can't just let it be this beautiful moment in the chapel, I have to carry it with me. I do carry it with me. And I have to recognize Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of my day and the rest of my life. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I appreciate that so much, Julie. And I think I desire for that to transform my experiences with the Eucharist. And all exactly as you said, and all embodied encounters with living tabernacles of the Lord Mm -hmm. in the flesh, in the flesh. Thank you both. I think this is really going to help me live the month of May with greater awareness of the path that we're on and who it is who can inspire and intercede for us on it. Toward that end, I'm wondering if you have media recommendation to offer our listeners. 
Yeah, I have a media recommendation. Um, I think we've recommended Carvaccio before because we all yeah we love him, love him very deeply. <laughs> <laughs> um, but another painting of his, Madonna di Loreto. It's a, just a beautiful painting. It's actually inside Sophie and Julie's childhood home. As soon as you walk in the door. Yeah. That's what I associate it with, actually. Mm-hmm. And we almost put it at our house in the exact same spot. But instead, we have a present from Sophia and Julie's parents there. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, but it's a beautiful image of Madonna and two just humble people at her door. I'm always... This is weird, but particularly struck by like the dirtiness of their feet. Their dirty feet. I love it too. (laughs) I was going to say that. (laughs) And I treasure that knowing my own sin and Mary's look of love upon them. Yes. Thank you for recommending that. Mary in that image is clearly a, a woman, not stylized or. And yeah, because she gave her body to Christ. Christ, too, is a man in the flesh. Mm-hmm. I'm not worthy to approach. I've got dirty feet, but I can entrust my needs to to them. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Do you have a monthly challenge, Sophia? Well, a monthly challenge that occurred to me because it's a monthly challenge that I've set for myself for the month of May, and I would love to have company in this uh, from you two and, and all of our listeners, is to pray daily the prayer to Mary by Father de Grand Maison. I will put a link to it in the show notes and I will read it now here as a way to conclude our episode. But it strikes me as a beautiful way to get to know the heart of Mary and beg her to intercede the Father to preserve that kind of heart in us. So both understanding Mary's exemplar and asking her to be our intercessor. So I'll read the prayer now. Holy Mary, Mother of God, preserve in me the heart of a child, pure and clean like spring water. A simple heart that does not remain absorbed in its own sadness. A loving heart that freely gives with compassion. A faithful and generous heart that neither forgets good nor feels bitterness for any evil. Give me a sweet and humble heart that loves without asking to be loved in return. Happy to lose itself in the heart of others. Sacrificing itself in front of your divine son. A great and unconquerable heart which no gratitude can close and no indifference can tire. A heart tormented by the glory of Christ, pierced by his love, with a wound that will not heal until heaven. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sophia. I love that. I'm definitely printing that out, putting it on the fridge. We'll pray it as a family every day. (laughs) Amazing. I feel like we should also mention I'm 34 weeks, Julie's 28 weeks pregnant yeah so we're our episodes in the summer will be a little unusual i think we'll have a couple more interviews Mm -hmm. and take some time adjusting to the new lives coming into our families yes so please pray for both julie and adriana and please (laughs) get ready to get tired of my voice (laughs) because I'll be continuing to podcast. We will not be taking a break, but we look forward to welcoming them back in the autumn. You will not be taking a break. break. We will be taking a break. (laughs) The listeners and I, we're going to grow a lot in our shared companionship without you. Just kidding. Um, In the interim, if you would like to find our archive, 
of all of our previous recommendations, you can do that on our website, pilgrimsoulpodcast.com. There's also a contact form there. We would love to hear from you. And if you liked this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend so that this friendship among us can continue to grow. God bless you.